0: Hi, my name is Miles Buckeridge, and I am the deputy editor of What's On.
1: And I'm Alice Holtham, the group editor of What's On. And for the first episode of the podcast, we're thrilled to have with us Motivate Media Group's managing partner and group editor and the founder of What's On, Mr Ian Fairservice. Ian, thank you so much for agreeing to do this with us.
2: Absolute pleasure.
1: Um, So let's kick off. And before we even get to um, the founding of what's on in 1979. We're gonna go back a little bit before that to what brought you to Dubai in the beginning because your background was hospitality. It wasn't to start a magazine. That wasn't the immediate plan, was it?
2: No, it wasn't, not at all. No, I studied hotel management and uh, I was working at a five-star hotel in the UK after I graduated. And I heard about this job opportunity in Dubai the city's second five-star hotel which opened at the end of 1977 and one of my friends knew of my interest in the Arab world so he gave me a ring and said have you seen the advert in the Telegraph today blah 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 and I applied and the next thing I knew I was working in Dubai as an assistant hotel manager
1: amazing and what was that like had you were you familiar with Dubai before had you ever been before
2: no, no, no.
1: <laughs> okay, so it certainly wasn't in the plan back then when you kind of boarded the plane, it hadn't been part of the plan.
2: There was no plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, I had a, a, a deep-rooted interest in the Arab world from my childhood. Mm. And um, I was just one of those, I don't know, traditional sort of English schoolboys with, you know, if, if if I was going to pick my my war comics or whatever, mm. I would always go for the ones on Beaugest or the foreign legion or mm. you know the 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 uh, battles in the desert Rommel and all that <laughs> sort of those those were you know those were my go-tos and then later on as my um, my reading matured um, I got into things like Arabian Sands by Wilfred Thesiger and even beyond that I was presented as a teenager with a copy of T.E. Lawrence's Seven Pillars of Wisdom one of the original um, first editions Amazing. by one of my great uncles, uh, who had been in Egypt in the war, and you know several of my family had uh, had served in the Arab world. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, it was just somewhere that I had a great interest in. Mm. But no, I'd never been to Dubai before.
0: And and obviously, Dubai changes very very quickly. We know that you know even in, even over the space of a couple of years, a lot changes. Back then, Dubai obviously looked completely different. Um, what were your first impressions getting off the plane and and seeing this place for the first time? It was awfully white.
2: (laughs) I mean, it was January 1978, so it wasn't the hottest, Mm. but it was still pretty hot coming from an English winter. But I think the sheer brightness and whiteness of it all was one of the first impressions. And also Dubai airport uh, in 1978 was tiny. And there are very few roads, to be perfectly honest. Mm. So it really was entirely undeveloped,
0: mm. like a canvas, I guess, right for for what was to come next. Yeah, mm.
2: that's a great description, Miles. It was. It was like a canvas,
0: mm.
2: a mm. blank canvas. And you know, um, to quote T. Lawrence, "Look at what has been writ large across these sands in the last fifty years. It's it's phenomenal." And I've just finished forty-five years living here. Wow. And I. I've often said that living in Dubai for so long, it isn't the same place. I mean, it's almost as if every five years, Dubai is almost completely reinvented. Mm. So um, you certainly don't get bored.
1: You came out here for the job as a hotel assistant general manager and outside of work, what was expat life like? Was there expat life? (laughs) Yeah, but the
2: strange thing was, that um there weren't there weren't really uh, sort of expat cliques so we would be going to um local families houses we would be going out with nationals at the weekends with their children to the beach as well as with other expats of all nationalities mm. so there was a lot more integration between expatriates and nationals in the 70s than you would see now. I, I think it's a great shame yeah. that there are people who may have lived here five or even 10 years and have never even had a conversation with the UA next. My wife and I still have friends to this day um, who we met in the 70s. Amazing. And you know they were at our weddings, we've been to their weddings, seen their children go up, seen their grandchildren arrive as they have seen our grandchildren arrive. And our grandchildren are fourth generation because my wife was here with her father wow so, uh, so 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 yeah. our grandchildren are fourth generation yeah. um in dubai now in family
1: how did the idea come about for whats on how did that begin
2: it's unbelievably there was almost no media here in the early 70s there's none at all and in 77 Uh, There was a fledgling radio station, uh, mainly Arabic. Dubai FM 92 launched, I believe, in 78 or early 79. There were no newspapers. If there was a big sporting event, then Mm -hmm. there was a good chance that it might be broadcast. Mm -hmm. But you turned the television on specifically to watch something that was being broadcast. Yeah. Otherwise, the rest of the 24 hours a day, Mm -hmm. you turned the television on, there was just snow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So there wasn't any regular broadcasting until 1979. So in short, there was nowhere for us to promote the hotel I was working in. Okay. We had a, a nightclub with a huge number of acts from all over the world. Um, we had four restaurants, cocktail bars, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and there was nowhere to promote it. The only the only avenue was a news sheet called the Recorded Daily News Bulletin. Okay. Which was literally printed on wax um, um, wheels in in a factory (laughs) in Charger. People would take, they would tear off from the Reuters bulletin the pages, make these uh, mimeograph as you would do if you Mm -hmm. were making an announcement in school, and then running off a few thousand copies, stapling them together, and then they sold them for a dirham at the traffic lights. If you wanted to advertise, if I wanted to advertise our hotel, Mm -hmm. I would have to first go and make my own leaflets mm. photograph them write the copy go to a printing press mm. print say 3000 leaflets then drive to Sharjah
0: mm.
2: off road um to where this cop this workshop was where they had okay. these 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 machines and then would pay them cash mm. <laughs> and they would staple your page in with the other pages Fantastic. and the next day uh when the the recorded daily news bulletin was sold at the traffic lights and bear in mind there weren't very many traffic lights <laughs> yeah. um your leaflet would be in there printed yeah. and i thought this was insane Yeah,
1: yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> understandably uh, <laughs> no stop the
2: press moment. No. <laughs> so it, it really was insane i came up with the not entirely original idea of launching the country's first magazine and um and i gave up my job in the hotel to do that and um hence what's on was born in uh, June 1979.
0: Yeah, which um, w- we've actually got a copy of the, that first issue here from, from 1979. June. Um, could you tell us a, a little bit about um, what putting it together was
2: like? It was just myself and a couple of friends, incredibly talented uh, designer uh, called Brian Adams. He did the uh, design the first Dubai Judy free um and all sorts of the retail and residential he was one of the first uh, architects here an interior wow. and interior designers and his wife was an interior designer daphne they had become very very close friends and when i told them about my idea to do a magazine they sort of leapt to the fore and we would take the pages round to their uh, office where they would be doing their uh, interior design and architectural okay. work and Pot of cow gum and uh, galleys from the printer, which were made, by the way, with lead. Wow! I mean, wow. so it was individual <laughs> letters, as you would see yeah. if you're watching a black and white movie mm-hmm. of the newspaper industry back in the in the in the in in, in, in the West in the 1940s and 50s. So, um, yeah, we would get the galleys made. Uh, most of the copy I wrote. I had a couple of other people who contributed. Um, Do you remember and then, any of
1: those features that you wrote for that first issue? Yeah,
2: I remember them all. Do you? I mean, there was What's On Eats Out, which was my food column, which I did for about 15 years. Wow. I did a feature at the back called the June Beat Disco, which yeah. has got a photograph of me behind the disco, but I've,
0: it's a, a beard painted on. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I wanted I never... to ask you about this, actually. As well. Not not the photo, necessarily, but the, the beat trail, because I guess that's a a, a lot of... You know what still goes on in, in Dubai today is the you know the incredible entertainment that we have that comes and visits us. and this is a really a sort of early look at, at what was going on in those late 70s and and for a timestamp stamp for people at home. Um, we've got popular records here and it, it notes um, contact from Edwin Starr. Uh, YMCA, I think most people will know that even if they' you know predates their their birth a little bit. and um, yeah glory again as I will survive. absolute bangers in there Um.
2: absolutely yes i mean the thing was that after a few months of doing what's on there was virtually no no income Mm. but Mm -hmm. luckily at the same time that i had decided to launch what's on one of my friends gordon hawthorne who was on dubai radio he was the first uh dj on dubai radio he sold me his mobile disco from england so amazing. I had we'd brought it over from England a, a few months before okay. I started What's On, mm. uh, and actually f- for the first year or so um, we had more income with me as a DJ than we had from What's On magazine. I actually yeah. read
1: about this. I read somewhere that, that really that in those first few months that What's On was was arguably funded by the 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 uh, mobile disco that was sort of done on on the side. It was, yeah, <laughs> amazing.
0: Absolutely. We've got a big question related to that as well. Um, What was your DJ name, Ian? No,
2: I I, I mean, (laughs) I called the disco, or myself and Colin Bramson, who was my friend who did it with me, we called the disco the Dune Beat Disco. Ah. Uh, Our logo was a great big red board with a a sand dune on it. So playing on downbeat, we became Dune Beat. But Colin and I uh, both acted as DJs. And as things got busier, our first art director, Russ North, also got involved. He became our, uh, our roadie. And we were doing sometimes three or four discos a week.
1: Amazing. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, we've started to talk there about Dubai starting to grow more hotels then. We're kind of, we're, we're coming up across the Emirates and celebrities visiting, dignitaries visiting. Um, tell us about about that. Yeah, in
2: November, 1982, um Muhammad Ali paid a surprise visit to the emirates he was fundraising for a mosque he was building in the US and as happened from time to time I got a call out of the blue uh would I like to do an interview with Muhammad Ali
1: wow <laughs> and um what, yeah what a tough decision he to hadn't make. he
2: hadn't given an interview for many many months since he would learned of his the fact that he'd contracted Parkinson's, I, oh, yeah. I was the first, one of the first journalists that he told, and I met him at the what was the Dubai International Hotel, which is now the Royal Meridian by the Airport. Um, we had a breakfast meeting. I recorded it. I still have the uh, the entire recording wow. of, of the interview, which I then ran uh, the follow in the following month. And the strange the, the strange thing was, he he said to me at the end, of, we spent an hour or so together. And then he said, uh, what are you doing now? And I said, well, you know, I've got a a, a son who's just a couple of weeks old, Mm. Robert, who's now 40. Mm. Um, But at the time he was a couple of weeks old, I said, I'll be heading home this afternoon, it was a Thursday, Um, to spend the weekend with my wife and um, my young son. And he said, well, he said, you know, they've, they've named a hotel after me. He said, why don't you come and spend the weekend at my hotel? Why? Wow. I said your hotel. I said what's it called? He said it's called Jebel Ali.
1: <laughs>
2: hell, hell of a sense of humor. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I went home, saw Rob, saw Jan, and said, "Look, sorry about this, guys, but I'm off to spend the weekend with uh, Mum Ali." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was and so, a plus
0: one. There was no plus. One. There was no plus one.
2: <laughs> so it was it was bizarre the number of of. Yeah. Famous people who came through and have always come through. It's been a privilege to be able to meet and spend so much time with um, so many fascinating Mm. personalities.
1: Was there Mm. anybody that really surprised you who you interviewed and you were like, gosh, I didn't think they'd be like that?
2: Definitely Eartha Kitt. She surprised me with her insecurity. Mm. Um, She also gave me some remarkable quotes. I remember she said to me, she was talking about how, how lonely she was most of the time. Mm-hmm. She said, no one comes to my dressing room because they assume it's already full. Um, but yeah, Shirley Bassey, I, she was she was fascinating. I interviewed mm-hmm. her twice. Um, and Bobby Moore, we had eight of the 11 1966 World Cup players here wow. for 10 days in the Watson World Cup tour, wow. celebrating the 1982 World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and but we
1: the, need to try and bring that back. <laughs> well,
2: we'd got the, somehow, we, we'd, got, we'd picked up the rights for the FIFA official program for the Arab world. And then we had to finance it somehow, so we sold lots of advertising in it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then talking to a friend of mine, Terry Scott, I said to him, how are we going to promote this? And he said, well, I know Bobby Moore. And I said, well, <laughs> let's phone you. him and see, <laughs> see if he'll come out. Mm-hmm. He can sort of launch this... 66 World Cup program. Mm-hmm. So I called Bobby Moore and he said, Well, I can bring some of the guys with me if you've got a bit of a budget. And we ended <laughs> up with we we ended up with Bobby Moore, Martin Peters, Jeff mm-hmm. Hurst, Colin Bell, mm-hmm. Ian wow. Callahan. Mm-hmm. And we had eight of the original wow. squad. That's Plus we had three stand-ins. So we had I think Alex Stepney stood in for Gordon Banks, who had had car crash and hurt his and gone blind in one eye he couldn't play the two Charlton brothers didn't come so we had um, Mike Summerby
1: hmm.
2: um, and one other player who replaced the other uh, Charlton brother hmm. but uh, it was amazing we played football every day with a different uh, national team wow. UAE team each of the Emirates national teams top expat teams and nobody scored a goal yeah. against them <laughs> <laughs> and they were, fouls they in were all in their forces <laughs> but, yeah. There was a lot of team talks at half-time and I was saying, boys, I told you, we can't get into double digits. It's already 5 nil. No more goals in the second half. And we'd end up with them teasing me and finishing on 9-0. Yeah. <laughs> but Bobby was a great character and I interviewed him and he wrote a column for the preceding three months leading up to the um, World Cup. He wow. he was our Watson on. Football pundit
0: for Fantastic. the 82 World Cup. Fantastic. Were there any the any anybody that slipped the net? Anybody from that time period that you would have loved to have, have interviewed?
2: Oh, I can't I can't think of anyone that that, as you say, slipped through the net. No. I mean, footballers, I became very, very friendly with Georgie Best. You I interviewed him Georgie several Best. times. Yeah. Spent a lot of time with him in the UK as well. Um, Bjorn Borg, Gerolitis, all the all right. tennis stars. I interviewed all of them. I once in, I interviewed three world champion Formula One drivers: uh, Nicky Kiki Rosberg, wow. John Watson, Nicky Lauda.
1: Amazing. Yeah, that's quite the that's yeah. quite the sporting life. So, uh,
0: as far as sportsmen are concerned, I've really covered my bases. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> genuinely, genuinely impressive. Um, but obviously, whilst all this was was going on in the eighties, um, you and, and into the nineties, you also began golf business in Emirates Emirates woman um, what's on celebrated 15 years I think in 1994 um, was the plan always to build a multi-brand publishing house um, and do you did you still did you see yourself still being there 15 years later
2: the answer to those questions is no and no
1: <laughs> in fact
2: when we started um, what's on at the same time um, we launched an advertising agency okay um, so we had some, and we had a design studio, and we handled PR, and we did some sports management. So yeah. we managed the uh, the Philip Morris uh, Marlborough Middle East Rally team. Our star driver was Tony Pons from wow. Britain, yeah. and yeah. the and uh, uh, with his co-driver, and then the other the other star driver in our team was Mohammed bin Salem. Mm-hmm. So we travelled around with the Marlborough team, uh, driving their Toyota Celicas. Uh, We went to uh, the we went to East Africa safari, went the Welsh rally, all the Middle East rallies, and wherever they went, I would travel with them, writing the reports on the store on 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 the team, not just for what's on, but Mm -hmm. for all the media. So we acted as their management and PR company. Um, So we were doing all sorts of things. We were to pick a cliche. We were. Jack of all trades, master of none. Mm.
1: <laughs>
2: and that changed in 1985, when um, the late, wonderful Maurice Flanagan phoned me, asked me if I wanted, a, if I could mm. launch an in-flight magazine for Emirates Airline mm. uh, in three or four months. And wow. he explained on the phone that his highness had called him up and he was at the Intercon and he was having lunch and suddenly somebody came over and said, no, his, his highness, he's on the phone for you and Morris didn't know how he knew he'd been there great story, one of Morris's favourites apparently, he mm-hmm. knew where most people were most of the time mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. he, and so Morris called me and said look, we've got until October to launch this airline, do you think you can do an in-flight magazine for us? And I said, he said we've got no budget you'll have to finance it through advertising mm. and I said Morris, if you can launch an airline in three or four months, I'm <laughs> sure I can launch a magazine <laughs> uh, and that was when we had to sort of recalibrate okay. um yeah. we'd, we'd got emirates woman mm-hmm. which had uh, which was launched in nineteen eighty one um what's on mm-hmm. um we did a lot of one off projects and the in flight magazine for Emirates was the third regular title yeah just okay. before golf business mm-hmm. and before our magazine for dubai airport mm-hmm. and to do that i I thought it's time to specialize yeah. okay. um so We found ourselves trying to sell advertising to people in advertising agencies to support our publications. Mm -hmm. But then we would be in the same offices queuing up to pitch against them for (laughs) advertising contracts. And about our notable contracts, we had Avis for the Middle East, we had JVC, we had instrumental hotels, just three of our biggest clients. Um, So we were competing with the advertising agencies who we then expected yeah. to, to work with you on the yeah.
1: magazines. <laughs> yeah.
2: So I took the decision, much to my business partner, uh, partner's shock and horror, to resign. We gave mm. uh, six months' notice wow. to all of our clients, mm. Mm. and and when then we went and I saw all the heads of all the advertising mm. agencies, mm. and I saw them all individually, and I said, "Look, we are out of we're we're, we're out of your hair." Mm. Mm. We need you to support us. Yeah, there there were dozens of advertising agencies by that time, but there was mm. only one um, publishing company yeah. um, that was doing a, a range of different titles. You had the College Times, of course, and the of Gulf course. News. Mm. Um, so you had other publications, but we were the only company doing that had a platform. So that that was basically in 1985. So we launched um, the Inflight Magazine for Emirates. And then a year later we launched golf business um, we launched a magazine for Dubai international Airport. Mm. then we launched identity magazine so we then became a multi title yeah. um, print based obviously mm. yes. um, media media company
0: let's talk about the the book's aspect of of motivate media Group because obviously it's it's still a huge part now but I believe um that all started in the the mid 90 mid 80s my my apologies
2: yes we st- our first book was published in 1986 um it coincided with the uh world chess olympiad being hosted by dubai and the municipality came to us and asked us if we would produce um the official souvenir of the olympiad which would be um a book Mm. Very very large mm. okay. uh, magazine, if you like, mm. uh, focused on the Emirate of Dubai. We called it the Commercial Book of Dubai, but it was it turned out to be huge. It was financed by advertising because obviously the there was no budget for it. There never there never is.
1: <laughs>
2: mm. um, but the strange thing was that there weren't any books on
1: Dubai. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So when the Commercial Book of Dubai came out in 1986. Copies were given away free to visitors at the Chess Olympiad. Mm. And then we had enormous demand for copies afterwards. So we took the decision to take all of the editorial mm. that we'd already published in the Commercial Book of Dubai with all the advertising. So the advertisers had had, had their, um, their exposure. We repurposed all the editorial we put it into a, a perfect bound as opposed to saddle stitched. So in other words, we took it away from looking like a magazine and made it like a book mm. okay. with a hard card cover mm-hmm. and without the advertisements. And we called it Dubai Gateway to the Gulf. And okay. it was the first book that we published and the only book at that time really about the UAE. Yeah. Um, and that then led to an absolute floodgate. Yeah. being opened of talented expats and nationals coming to us with their book ideas yeah. all of a sudden you know we were doing Emirates Archaeological Heritage by Shirley Kay. Uh she also wrote Land of the Emirates mm. Peter Hellyer came to me and he and I did Abu Dhabi Garden City Amazing. Um, yeah. and then we did Alain Oasis City uh, and that was it we were publishing a book every two or three months and Gosh.
0: iconic books as well.
2: And, and most of those, most of the more than 300 books that we've published, mm-hmm. at least 200 remain in print to this Place day. You can find all of our books mm. is, is if uh, if people visit us here yeah. at the Motivate offices because we have a, the uh, the gallery here, which displays all of the books.
1: Which they're welcome to do, actually. Which, of they course, do. they're
2: welcome to yeah. do. And anyone who does come here, um, while I pause for a commercial break, uh, we reward people people's uh, courtesy of visiting us by by selling the books to them at trade prices. Yeah. So if people come here, they have the choice of all the books that we have in print, and they pay the same price as the bookshops buy them from us mm-hmm. without any markup. So there you go, that's Fantastic. the Arabian Gallery. That's the deal. 1988, uh, Wilfred Thesiger, uh, one of the greatest explorers of the 20th century from Britain, um, who had spent so many years um, exploring the Africa and also traveling across the empty quarter here in Arabia. He was brought to um, Abu Dhabi and Dubai by the British Council. Um, He was the author of Arabian Sands, which was one of the most um, iconic books on the region, and one of the books that influenced me. So having the opportunity to meet him was incredibly exciting. The British Council approached us to publish the official program of the exhibition, um, hence um, meeting him, interviewing him. And one of the questions I asked him was, why had he not had Arabian Sands published in Arabic? Mm -hmm. It was dedicated to two of his Arab traveling companions. Um, And surely uh, it would be an an obvious thing to have done. the book having been in print from 1940 for by that time 48 years came coming up to its 50th anniversary to become a classic in literature you have to remain in hardback for 50 years okay yeah. so uh, so in 1990 mm-hmm. it became officially a classic yeah and uh, he was very excited at the prospect i said that we would take the responsibility of publishing it in arabic if i could get the rights mm-hmm and if I could get the necessary permissions. So within within two years, um, we had published Arabian Sands in Arabic. We'd also acquired the rights to Arabian Sands in English mm-hmm. um, for everywhere outside the UK, where the rights are still held by HarperCollins. Wow. Um, and at the same time, then I did a bit of a sweep and I picked up the rights to persons of a nomad Desert Marsh and Mountain, um, two of his other classic coffee table books. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we really built Wilfred Thesiger into a bit of a publishing industry for for Motivate. Mm And from 1988 until he passed at the age of 93 in 2003, we did 14 books together. Wow. And um, traveled all over the world, doing you know book launches presentations speeches lectures uh, he was, it was an absolutely amazing um period and uh he because of his books being republished or new books being published he was recognized uh, again by the british establishment mm. and he was knighted mm. so he became sir wilfred tessiger mm. um i took him um, three times to for three of our most significant launches here to meet with um, the late president uh, Sheikh Zayed in Abu Dhabi, mm. yes. and each time uh, we spent upwards of an hour to two hours with uh, with the president sp- talking about their reminiscences because Wilfred and wow. and uh, and Z- and Sheikh Zayed were contemporaries wow. in the 1940s. They went falconing together, and Wilfred had spent all this time in the desert, mm. and and Sheikh Zayed had spent a lot of time with him. Mm. So along with Salim bin Kabina, Salim bin Kabesha, and Al-Amer, three of the companions. Um, you know, we went and visited all of the sheikhs, I mean, whether it was um, Sheikh Sultan in charge, or Sheikh Zayed in Abu Dhabi, Sheikh uh, Hamad in in um, in Fujairah, um, Sheikh Tahnun, Sheikh Surua, all these people that Wilfred had known in their youth yes. and they were all very very excited to have opportunities to get together with him and to reminisce about the 1940s and 50s when he was uh when he spent over five years traveling with the with the bedu in the desert
1: i can't imagine being a fly on the wall in those conversations no, I,
0: honestly <laughs> um and and i guess as well like uh the the two of you both being brits and both exploring slightly different planes um you certainly exploring the the commercial um the 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 new i guess that that growing oasis that was that was happening in dubai at the time um with with commercial opportunities and i think with the books you also went on to to feature some other very prominent um highly relevant to the uae oh yes uh,
2: uh, for sure i mean beyond um Thessage and Ronald Codre, with whom we did a dozen books, Murali Ratchid Ramit Shukla. These are our, our classic backlist mm-hmm. from the uh, 80s and 90s. But then we were terribly uh, privileged and honored to be asked to publish the the uh, the first uh, autobiographical book by His Highness Sheikh Mohammed, now the uh, ruler of Dubai, and at that time, uh, the the Crown Prince. Mm-hmm. So we published My Vision, and we've gone on to publish um, over twenty books by uh, His Highness Sheikh Mohammed. Incredible. Um, so that's, as I say, that's a great privilege, and it's and, and also to 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 have worked on several volumes of his poetry, mm. both in Arabic and in English, has been uh, has been uh, fascinating. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Um, right, and and I guess moving on from books, if we're looking at um, what came next. Um, in terms of, of the different avenues that, that watson and motivate media group were, were exploring um can we talk about the the watson awards as well um so that was launched in two thousand and two the first
2: that's right two thousand and two um they we'd been asked about doing restaurant awards for some time and um i to be honest i it, I took a lot of convincing. Hmm. Um, It wasn't something that that I I was really ready to jump into. Why was that? Um, I was just, I I think I was just a a little bit hesitant. Uh, We hadn't done any awards before. And I think that when you set yourself up as an arbiter of, you know, um, good restaurants or, uh, you know, you're Mm -hmm. starting to move away from reporting or writing or publicizing, and 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 you know it's it, it's a it's just a different sense a different feeling, but anyway I I, I was persuaded in two thousand and two, but I insisted that they become what we termed the uh, people's choice awards. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I agreed to do the awards on the basis that they would be nominated and voted by the public, mm. and that we have stuck to for yes. the last twenty one years. Yes. Um, and then we launched them in um, Abu Dhabi f- f- a few years after Dubai. Fantastic. Could you have
1: imagined that when you launched awards in 2002 that we would then, 20 years later, be doing them in Riyadh?
2: No. <laughs> then again, I, I, as I said before, I, this has been somewhat of an uncharted course. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, I, I've stayed away from making too many long-term plans or too many uh, <laughs> predictions of what might or might not happen in the future mm-hmm. um, it's all been a bit orga- or, or, organic yeah yeah so and,
0: and you're a foodie at heart i believe oh yeah absolutely
2: yeah. yes i mean i in 1981 i was one of the four founders of the um first uh chapter of the shender otis here in the middle east and uh, it's the oldest food association in the world having started in 1248 now um uh you know i'm i'm, I'm the, the, uh, the chairman of the, of, of the Emirates by arch, as well as being on the world board in Paris. Um, so yes, I am. Um, it's one of, the, one of my great interests, which is, I guess, goes right back to me having yeah. uh, been to hotel school in the, in the very beginning. Mm.
1: Yeah, mm. And, and I mean, we've, we've sort of talked about what's on and we've talked about kind of the growth of the magazines and we've talked about books, but there's many other arms to motivate that we haven't touched on. Um, tell me a bit more about you know the launch of Val Morgan and and some of the other partnerships that we've done and obviously Dubai Links is this huge part of kind of the the wider Motivate infrastructure.
2: Yeah, we now have ninety five percent of the cinema advertising in the Middle East, Incredible. including all of the cinemas in Saudi Arabia and all the new ones which are opening at the moment. But from Egypt to Lebanon, Jordan, all the GCC, Motivate um, Val Morgan handles. Uh, the vast majority of all the cinema advertising in the region
1: yeah
0: that's incredible and it's i i guess the as alice was saying the, the joint ventures have continued um some of the more the, the more recent ones we've seen some very innovative ways of, of advertising um on on modern apparatus um can you share share some of the the insights of yeah the we,
2: we we've very recently um we're invited to joint venture with a South African company um, who are who have a patented system of uh, advertising on the up side of escalators mm. yeah. and we have just recently in the last few weeks um, won our first contracts mm. uh, so as that develops
0: coming soon indeed
2: yeah. as mm. that develops um, you know starting with the wafimel mm-hmm. and Dubai International Airport which are two places we're working Huge. at the moment mm-hmm. so when you are looking at the escalator in front of you uh, as the as as the escalator moves the the, the, the side facing you the up face mm-hmm. uh contains a continuing image i i compare it if you like to a child's flicker book yeah so if you make an image and change it slightly on every page and then okay. flick it uh,
1: yeah yeah that's
2: exactly what's happening when you're looking at the advertising on escalators mm-hmm. so it you can actually give the impression that this is um a moving image yeah uh, so yeah that that's that's one of the uh newest ventures that that we've done but our uh, also from australia um uh, 3 3 years ago we uh we created a joint venture with vamp which yeah. is um an influencer company yeah who came out of australia hong kong uk and then they approached us to joint venture with them in the Middle East, mm. so um, Vamp has seven thousand influencers contracted to the company. Mm. Here it's called uh, Motivate Vamp, yeah, um, and those influencers are uh, r- reside all over the Middle East, mm-hmm. and through the Vamp network, we have access to a further fifty thousand influencers global, globally, wow. uh, but here in the in the region we have seven thousand um with whom we work exclusively basically.
1: and again i mean you know setting when setting up what's on in 1979 who ever would have ever would have thought that we'd then have a an influencer content creator division to <laughs> to, to, to the business well who
2: would have thought yeah. we'd have had this beautiful
0: podcast yeah, I mean,
1: that is very the, the
0: glory the glory days of radio are back again <laughs> it certainly feels that
1: way where was the turning point on a global scale where people started to show real interest in in dubai kind of and sort of take it more seriously, I guess.
2: I think that um, people started to take serious note of uh, the Emirates. And as you say, I think particularly at the time, Dubai was getting um, its share of uh, of publicity. I think really from the the mid-90s, early to mid-90s onwards, I think by the time we reached the millennium, um, people, knew that dubai and that the uae existed mm. uh, whereas when i came in the 70s and probably throughout the 80s people would still do what yeah. do dublin is that <laughs> ireland uh you've
0: misspelled, you've misspelled yes dublin, yeah. you know, so
2: so certainly in the 70s and 80s hardly anyone had heard um of dubai sharjah abu dhabi uh, etc but from the mid 90s, i think the international awareness grew, and certainly in back when we got into the noughties, yeah, that was uh, that was accentuated um, by. I, I mean, look, credit where it's due. Emirates airline yes. was yeah. at the forefront yeah. Yeah. of of carrying, literally the, <laughs> the flag carrier. Yeah. Um, so Emirates did an enormous amount. Um, to To take the the message across, and of course, direct flights uh, from Europe mm-hmm. and and now direct flights to almost everywhere in the world mm. have resulted in um, in the Emirates becoming a massively popular tourist destination, not just here but also with Etihad
0: yeah. in yes. in Abu Dhabi. Mm. Yes, the the uh, the tennis match between Andre Agassi and was it Pete Sampras? So but that was to, that i believe that was to promote the um what's now called the the dubai duty free tennis
2: the yeah the dubai duty free tennis has been established now successfully for so many years mm. at the irish village at the mm. tennis stadium there mm. um and that that again that brought the most famous tennis players to yeah. dubai the same can be said of um the golf yeah with yeah. the Dubai Desert Golf, the yeah. same can be said of the Rugby Sevens. Mm-hmm. So in, in all of these different fields of sport, um, tennis, as I say, t- tennis, golf, uh, rugby, um, all of these have all resulted in phenomenal exposure internationally for, uh, for the Emirates. And of course, whatever is, is we're talking about that's happening here in Dubai is also by and large happening in Abu Dhabi because they have yeah. the most incredible golf yeah. players there as well.
1: So we've obviously briefly talked about where we're sitting today, the podcast studio. I mean, how, how has the business kind of gotten from, from there to here? What have been those kind of new moves that that we've made in this kind of up to future to now?
2: I think if I look back 12 or 15 years in particular, the, uh, the company has changed so much. Uh, 15 years ago, probably 75% of our business was still in print, even though cinema was definitely growing. Um, and and we were already in to um, websites and, and the yes. digital arena, but significantly print was still uh, the driving force behind the business. Now, fast forward 15 years, and uh, print is barely 18% wow. of, of our business. Um, so the vast majority of of what we do these days is um the largest proportion is digital yes
1: um
2: with all of our uh, all of our websites um and producing content not just for our own websites but for other people producing as we are today at podcasts ourselves but even before this beautiful studio was built uh we were already producing podcasts for other people um, and, and so that continues. So the the whole shape of our business has changed significantly in that
0: period. It's remarkable. Um, now we've got some quick fire questions for you, Ian, if that's okay. So please don't think about them too hard. Just first, first <laughs> no thought pressure. off the top of their head. No pressure. <laughs> um, so we're going to start off with what's something that not many people know about you. Well,
2: unless you were at the uh, literary festival. This year, um, probably most people don't know that uh, one of my, apart from golf, um, one of my hobbies is, or passions I would say, is writing poetry. Fantastic. amazing. Writing
0: and performing poetry. Fantastic, love it. Um, Where is your favorite place to go in Dubai that not many people know about, a hidden gem?
2: Well, the favorite place that my family go uh, and where I can be found, all sorts of times, is the Jebel Ali um, Golf Club and Resort. It was opened in 1982. It was it was the first sort of beach resort, and they've kept up to date with everything over there. Um, I love going over there to play golf. The kids love to go over there. If, if not playing golf, then using the the beach facilities, the marina. So, a lot of people uh, will be so much more familiar with the modern resorts. But uh, as far as um
0: the first of his clan are concerned.
1: Can't That's be the Jebel
2: Ali.
0: Where the heart is, I love it. Um, and at what point did you realise that you were here for the long haul, um, that Dubai is your, your forever home?
2: I think it just crept up on me. I, mean, I met my wife here in, uh, eight, in 1980. We got married in 82. Um, I think probably, certainly by the 90s, uh, by the time we had um, four children here, At school here and what have you I think the realization had come that we were here for good Mm -hmm. and since then you know we've been blessed with four grandchildren born here as well so so uh, yeah yeah I think I think certainly by the 90s we realized that this would be permanently our home
0: fantastic and what do you think Dubai can teach the rest of the world
2: Wow well I think it can teach the rest of the world that if you don't change your government every four years and change every policy that the previous government (laughs) started working on, it's amazing how much you can actually achieve a little bit of cooperation, even from transferring power from one one governing body to the next. Um, One of the uh, examples I like to, to cite is that when I left England in the 70s, they were they were they'd been arguing already for about 15 years about where to put the new runway <laughs> in London, and uh, I flew into one of the smallest airports in the world, and now 45 years later they're still arguing in England about where <laughs> yeah, they want to yeah. put this extra runway. Yeah. They still haven't decided, and we have the two of the biggest airports in the world mm. in Dubai—one the biggest physical by physical size—and the other one biggest by passenger numbers <laughs> yeah. so i i think having a uh, having continuity of governance yes um is and, and I'm, I'm of course i'm not saying that there shouldn't be democracy but if people if people could only understand that cooperating with the outgoing cooperating with the incoming government um just imagine how much the west could achieve if they didn't care who took the credit absolutely
1: amazing ian Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. An incredible Um, pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.
2: Pleasure.